Well, thank you. Good morning. Let's dive in with a question this morning. What's your favorite movie of all time? What's your favorite movie of all time? Now, if you're struggling with this uh, entry-level question, I have some suggestions for us this morning. The Avengers, Titanic, and who doesn't love Wally? You know, now this is not uh, necessarily my list because uh, if Titanic was my favorite movie, I would not admit it. <laughs> so, anyhow, we see these great movies. We actually spend a lot of money by the millions we go to watch these epic stories that Hollywood has dumped millions of dollars into to entertain us. So the question we need to ask this morning is this, is what are the elements that make up an epic story? What are the elements that make up an epic story? And so as you consider the movie that you have in your mind, or if you need to borrow one of the ones that I've suggested, there are six elements that, that make up a story that is worth seeing, a story that's worth living. The, the first element is this, is that every, every great story has conflict in it. That there's this tension that as we're watching the story, we're wondering what's going to happen. It's this cliffhanger that's, that's full out, uh, folding out in front of us. And in that conflict, the main character always has to sacrifice something. There's always a sacrifice. And that sacrifice demands a risk. Now, usually, as the main character is going throughout the story and we're captivated by this story, we find that there is this love story that is sometimes the main story or it's an underlying story within a larger story. In other words, there is a love worth fighting for. There is a love so great that comes from desire that the character of the story is willing to risk and sacrifice inside an intense conflict to gain what he or she longs for. Which then leads us to the last piece, which is resolve. That every great story has to have a resolution to it. And so when we look at this concept of an epic story, every one of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, we want to live a story like this. That we want to live lives that matter for something. That we want to have a life that is worth living. That we, we want to leave a legacy for our children or for our grandchildren or for the people that we have the opportunity to influence in the course of our lives. Fascinating enough, this is God's desire for you too. In fact, when Jesus was doing his ministry, here's what he said at one point. He said, I have come to give you life and to give you life to the full. God desires for you and for I to live this epic story, this life to the full, this life abundant. Now, in the context of living an epic story, here's what we begin to learn. We learn that, that to live a great life, it demands faith. 
that to live this type of life, we have to live a life of faith. To move from normal to exceptional requires risk. It requires sacrifice, conflict, love, desire, and resolution. It, desi- it, it demands faith. So the, the question becomes, well, what's the problem with this? In other words, I would have to ask you this question. Is this the life you're living? Are you living a life that is worth a story, worth telling? Is that the life that you're living? Or is there something inside of you where you're going, man, I know there's got to be more to life. I know that there can be a bigger purpose to life. I know that my work can align with what I do. I just don't know how to get there. There's got to be more. And so we need to ask this question. So what's the problem? Why is it that we long, so many of us long for this, but we don't realize it? Why do we end up ending, why do we end up in this place of seeking comfort and safety instead of this epic story that is fighting for love, fighting for our children, fighting for our community, seeking to restore the things in this world that are broken? Just this last week, I was uh, talking with a friend of mine, and he said, Ron, 16 years ago, I just kind of ended up in the technology world. And working in the technology world, has been, it's been fine. I, I've been able to pay the bills, feed my kids. I live in a nice neighborhood. I have good cars. He said, but for 16 years, something's just been empty. Something's missing, and I have to make a change. He said, Ron, would you be willing to help me uh, network with people, where I, where, with employers, where I can begin to align my passion in life with what I do? Here's, what's, here's what Mike is saying. Mike is saying, Ron, I long to live a better story. I'm ready to take a step of faith. In fact, he said this to me. He said, even if it requires uh, less pay, I'm, I'm ready to jump in. So all these years, what's held my friend back from living this story? Because when he got out of college, he could have chose to live this story. What held him back from this? And what we find is that the enemy, oh, I did that again, enemy of faith is what? What is it? Fear. The enemy of faith is fear. Fear sabotages our faith. Now, let's make no mistake that when you and I are living lives of faith, we will have fear. That we we can't live here without having this. And this is, this is one of the places that Hollywood has lied to us. Because if we look at the stories in Hollywood, the great movies, these, these epic adventures, these action films, what do we almost never see in the main character? Fear. And yet we need to understand that with the way that God has rigged the world, that when we live by faith, we will face and have to overcome fear. 
About eight years ago, my wife and I decided that we were going to start a new church in um, uh, the Washington, D.C. area. And so to do that, I left a perfectly good job with a perfectly good salary with perf from perfectly good friends to move to an area of the country I had never lived to start a church that didn't exist with a salary I had to raise, and we were going to do this as a family. My job at the opening of the church plant was to raise my salary plus. And if I did it, it was real simple. I didn't get paid. And so I remember four years into that journey, I called my dad, a 40-year-old, calling his dad. And there's this anxiety in my heart, this tension, this conflict going on inside of me. And I got on the phone with my dad and I said, dad, I am scared out of my mind. Two weeks from now, I don't know if there's going to be enough money to, to feed my family. Dad, I am questioning my faith. And my father said these words to me. He said, Ron, you're where you're at in your story because you are a man of faith. How many of you would love to hear those words from a loving father? When we live by faith, we will face fear. Fear paralyzes, fear gives it gives us this greater desire for comfort and for safety than it does for embracing risk as a way of life. Author John Eldridge puts it this way. He says, God has rigged the world so that it only works when we embrace risk as the theme of our lives, when we live by faith. All attempts to find a safer life, to live by the expectations of others, kill the soul in the end. Now this morning, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, and considering in this list of men and women that the author has given us, of men and women who have walked this story, this epic adventure of faith, we're going to be looking at the story of Moses. But before we dive into this particular verse this morning, I want to give you the backstory of Moses. Several hundred years before Moses shows up on the scene, we see that the Jewish people are migrating from Israel to Egypt. And the reason they're doing this is because there's a famine that has taken over the whole Middle East region. And so as the famine is setting in, the Israelites are beginning to lose their jobs, their cattle are dying, the wells are drying up, business is closing. And as this happens, they pack up all their earthly possessions and they begin to make this trip to Egypt. And the reason they're doing this is because Egypt is the only thriving economy in the Middle East at that time. And so when they show up in Egypt, there's food, there's water, there's work, and they can reestablish their lives. Now, hundreds of years after this migration took place, there's a new pharaoh that's in power, and he doesn't understand or know of the history of why this migration took place. All he knows is this, is that the Jewish people's population is becoming greater than the Egyptians' population. And out of a fear response, being incited by fear, 
he believes that if the Jewish people become too large as, as a group of people, they will become powerful and they will overthrow the Egyptians, stealing their land and their property and taking control of the country. So in an act of fear, out of his disbelief, he decides that he's going to enslave all of the Jewish people. He works them hard. His thought is, if I'm working them hard, they won't have time to make babies. They still made babies. It's because it's fun to do. So he sees the population growing, and now he does this. He goes, wait a minute, we got to solve this issue. So he puts out an edict to kill every male child under the age of four. And this is where our story begins. This is when, this is the political climate, the social climate that Moses is born into. And so we have our verse this morning. If you need a Bible to go along with us this morning, there are ushers at the back. They'd be happy to give you one. And please feel free to take this home with you. Um, otherwise, you can follow through uh, on the screen with me. Just raise your hand and they'll be happy to give that to you. So let's dive in. It says this, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now notice this, at the very first part of the verse, it says this, by faith, Moses' parents. Now you and I would naturally think, wait a minute, the person of faith here is Moses. No. No. The people of faith here are his parents. They're on this journey of instilling great faith into their child. As we've talked about through this series, we see that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Another version of the Bible puts it this way and expands upon this idea of faith. And it says this, Faith is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. A firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. So you may be wondering, what do I have to do then to invite my children into a story of faith? How do, how do I invite my family into a life worth living. Well, when my kids turn nine, uh, I invite my children to go on a multiple day, usually five to seven day outdoor uh, wilderness experience with me. And when my youngest at age nine, uh, when I went to her and invited her on this trip, she goes, dad, can we go slat, slot canyoneering in Zion National Park? And I went, oh God, I love you. So for those of you that are wondering what slot canyoneering is, it's when you rappel into a canyon that's about 200 feet deep. It's typically in, in places no wider than my shoulders. It, it, sometimes uh, it will widen into a room that is a huge pool of water that is being filled by a waterfall. So you're walking down this stream. The canyon is being cut every year by the snowmelt. So the water in the canyon is typically about 40 degrees and to get through the canyon, you've got to wear a wetsuit. 
And so my daughter and I go into this canyon together. We repel our first waterfall. We're taking off our belay device as we're floating and swimming. And then we're swimming to the other side of the pool where we hike a bit and we just keep repeating this. Now, the danger of this is that if it's raining 30 miles away, the runoff runs into the slot canyons. And so it's, it's critical to know what the weather is doing around you, otherwise you're dead. So we're running this slot canyon. There's a picture I want to show you. And when we get to the end of it, this is the final rappel. It's a 120-foot free rappel, which simply means that once you go over the edge of the rock, it is open air. As you can see in this picture, the dude's feet are touching nothing. It's just an open air rappel. So I had been training my daughter for about six months, prepping her for this particular rappel to get out of the canyon. We're at the top together on the rock and I'm, I'm checking and double checking and then triple checking her belay device and her rope. And we had two ropes that went down off the rock together. And we slowly sank back over the ledge of this over 100 foot cliff. We're hanging about 10 feet down, and my daughter goes, Daddy, as I'm right next to her, Daddy, I'm scared. Daddy, I'm scared. Honey, you're going to be okay. Just keep moving the rope. You're going to be fine. You're doing great, honey. Daddy, I'm scared. You know what we learn in that story? What I love about my daughter, when we got to the bottom of this particular rappel, I embraced my daughter, hugged her deep. Because in that moment, my daughter assassinated fear. And if we're going to live this type of epic story, if we're going to live a life of faith, we have to, in our own lives, assassinate fear. It's going to be there, but we have to kill it. What I love about Moses' parents is that they also assassinated fear. Look at the verse again. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after, they were, after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Here is a man who can kill them for hiding their child and they're not afraid of the king's edict. His parents at this moment are assassinating fear. And the reality is for me and for you is that if we're going to live by faith in our own lives, in order to live the story that God wants us to live, we must assassinate fear. We need to teach our children how to assassinate fear, teach our grandchildren how to assassinate fear. So you may be wondering, how do we go about, how do I assassinate fear? How do I overcome the fear that I face in my life? I remember as a kid, um, I was in elementary school and my father would put me up on the roof to clean the gutters. This was before Child Protective Services. <laughs> and so I was cleaning the gutters out on the roof of the garage and I went off, I went to the front side of the house, cleaned them. And while I was on the front side, my dad was removing the ladder from the back side of the house. So I come back over, I go, nice prank, dad. Can you put the ladder back up? He goes, nope, jump. 
you're joking. No, you'll be fine. Jump. So I squatted down and I went, that looks a little better. And then I jumped. When I hit the ground and rolled, my father looked at me, he goes, good job, son. Patted me on the back, gave me a hug. You know what my father was doing that moment? Instilling within me trust. And what I've come to learn in my life is that just as my father was instilling me to trust him in the same moment he was teaching me to trust my heavenly father who will never let me down. You see, as we teach our children trust in the everyday aspects of life, it has the opportunity to translate to the trust of our heavenly father who loves us more deeply than anyone in the world will ever love us, who has sacrificed his life through the story of Jesus Christ so that we can have life and have life to the full and then invites us into the story. But to do it, to assassinate fear, we have to learn to trust. So let's look at the story of Moses again. By faith, Moses' parents hit him for three months after he was born. Because they saw he was no ordinary child. Now let's be honest. Every parent in the room thinks that their kid is no ordinary child. Either because we think they're really great or it's like, whoa, what in the world happened to you? (laughs) You're weird. But we think our kids are no ordinary child. You know what the difference is between a parent who thinks that their kid is no ordinary child and Moses' parents? Is that they acted on it. They lived it. They put Moses in hiding. They risked their own lives. They they acted on this belief that their child had what it took, that they looked at this child and went, there's something special about this child that God wants to do through this kid's life. We don't understand it, but we're gonna act on it. And so in our journey, we need to teach our children to believe God. We need to teach our children what to believe because belief drives action but that belief must be founded in truth or in trust. And so what we find is to to assassinate fear, we need to instill trust in our children. We need to act upon what we believe and ask them and invite them to do the same thing. And if you didn't come from a family of faith, this is your chance to restore what is broken, to do it right. So you may be wondering, how do we lead our children and our grandchildren to trust God and to do what they believe? How do we do that? How do we lead our children and grandchildren to trust God and to live what they believe? About five years ago, my wife and I were launching the nonprofit that Rob talked about a little bit earlier. We just, in the core of who we are, we deeply believe that it is time for the church to leave the building and share God's love in tangible ways. And one of the ways that we saw we could do that was by feeding hungry children in every county in America. I remember the first time I went to my wife and I said, honey, just so you know, uh, I'm writing a $15,000 check uh, towards the nonprofit so that we can feed kids. 
And the first time she went, ah, are you sure about that? I went, yep, I'm sure about that. Just trust me. Uh, we'll be okay. Four weeks later, I went back to my wife and I said, honey, just so you know, I'm writing another $15,000 check so that we can feed kids across the hunger, uh, country who are struggling with hunger. This time she questioned me a little bit more. The beauty of this is that our kids were part of the conversation. They understood in all of this as we were writing these, for us, ridiculous amount checks, the faith journey we were on and the fear that we were facing in the process. And as we were beginning to shape the nonprofit, here's what we learned. We learned that most nonprofits across America don't let children serve with their parents and we wanted to serve with our kids. So we shaped the nonprofit so that we could enter into a faith story with our children and teach them faith in the story of leading this nonprofit. And so it's not something that I lead, it's something that I get to lead with my children, with my wife. It's a story that we've embraced as a lifestyle. And now in the story of generosity feeds, we're offering that same opportunity to families across America to say, listen, you too can live this faith story with your kids. Here's an opportunity to teach them faith. And so in order to assassinate fear by teaching our kids by teaching our kids to trust and to act on what we believe, we have to invite them into a story where they can experience the, the risk, the sacrifice, the conflict, the resolution, the desire, the love, and overcome and assassinate the fear in their own lives. But it takes an invitation. Because, because of their faith, Moses' parents led their son into a better story. The alternative to his story, had they not done this, was death. Interestingly enough, uh, that's the same alternative that you and I face as our souls slowly die. If we fail to embrace the stories that God wants us to live by faith, assassinating fear. That in the end, our souls just slowly die. And life begins to look like this. This is not faith. This is called boredom. My son came to me one day and he said, dad, I'm bored. I said, you've got an Xbox, a bike, a scooter, a skateboard, two sisters to play with, neighbors to play with. Uh, sorry, son, you're not bored. You're boring. This is not what God has for you. It's not what he has for me. We need to invite our families, our children, our grandchildren to live a story that is laced with conflict and sacrifice, risk, love, desire, and resolution. If you're relying on LifePoint Church or any other church to teach your children faith, you're already failing. It is the responsibility of us as parents to teach faith, to invite our children into these extraordinary, extraordinary lives, engaging them in the, in the stories of our lives, both the victories, the struggles, the defeats, 
And we accomplish this through our conversations and through the experiences that we share with them. So the question becomes, how will you lead your family into a story worth telling? Well, for some of us in the room, it may be that you need to perhaps adopt a child. My wife has wanted to adopt a child for the 20 years that we've been married. And dudes, I can tell you that as a man, I have resisted that for 20 years. You wanna know why? Right here. What does this bill scream in our faces every time we use it? In what? In God we trust. I don't believe it. At the end of the day, that right there is my biggest reason for fear. It may be that you need to bring a child into your home for a few weeks while his or her single mom is reestablishing a job and a safe living environment for their child. You can do that through LifePoint Safe Families Ministry and invite your family into the story with you. It may be that you need to go on a missions trip with your family. This October, LifePoint's offering a missions trip to Ecuador. Bring your kids with you. Bring your grandkids with you. Invite them into the story. It may be that you need to start a business and invite your children or your grandchildren, shape the business in such a way that they can join you in the story that's being lived out through a new business. It may be that you just need to begin to share Jesus with your neighbors or coworkers and invite your, your children into that story with you. For us, the way that it works is that I'm an avid backcountry skier and I can't afford to ski. So I joined the National Ski Patrol about two years ago because I figured if I can't afford it, join them. And little did I know that when I was accepted into the National Ski Patrol, I was being adopted into a family to the point that they invited me to, to share a house with them for three months out of the year for $300 a month. And so for three months out of the year, my children and I live in community with five other families who are still figuring out who Jesus is and we're living on mission, sharing Jesus in the context of skiing. I don't know what it is for you, that's what it is for me. But faith is to always be lived out in the context of relationships and those relationships begin with our families. And in the journey, teach your children about the faithfulness of God, of who he is, and how they can trust him. Because of the faith of Moses' parents, Moses goes on in his story to rescue a nation, to lead millions of people to freedom, to bring God's people back to their home country. Moses' life is so well lived that even thousands of years later, Hollywood picked up on the story and invested millions so that you could watch it because Moses lived a life worth living. Why? Because his parents had the faith to pass on the legacy of a life of faith and invite their son into an epic story that's worth telling. So the question becomes this. Will you lead your family to live a story worth telling? What step will you take today? 
Jesus, increase our faith. Would you give us the courage to live lives that embrace faith, that assassinate fear? Lives that leave a legacy for our children and our grandchildren and those around us that we love. Where we're testing you, where we're putting ourselves in a place where we're done unless you show up. Reveal to us right now in this moment the step that each one of us needs to take. In Jesus' name, amen.